0: End up doing extraordinary things uh, for God, and so uh, today we take another uh, step in that series, and we look at another person, and we're going to look at uh, the woman Esther. How many saw the movie? Do you remember the movie? They actually did a Hollywood movie. It's called I think One Night with the King. Was was the movie? It was well done. So. You want the movie version, it, yeah, you know, it's movie version. It's not totally accurate, but, it, you know, it kind of tells the story of Esther. So uh, go grab the DVD, and if you're not doing anything later, around 3 o'clock or so, you can watch a movie and take it in, okay? But, uh, yeah, it, it's there, right? Yeah, you can do that. You got it. <laughs> so uh, you can just enjoy that. Well, anyway, let's get into, into Esther. It's, in, it's a short book, relatively short book. It's only uh, 10 chapters uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, obviously. Uh, but it is a, a profound uh, story. Uh, to get a sense of it, about all we can do this morning is kind of you know, get the story, I guess, a little bit and glean some, some simple truths from, from uh, the story itself. And that's why it's there. I mean, that's why God put it in the Bible for us, for us just to glean from this experience. This real, ordinary, real-life experience. i uh, give you a little background. Uh, it happens during the reign of King uh, Xerxes, and he took over for his dad, uh, uh, Darius. you remember Darius? Do you remember what book in the Old Testament is associated with King Darius? Put you to the test this morning. Oh, it's about that den of lions there. you remember that? Daniel and the lions. Darius is the guy that put Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, so that was dad, so now Xerxes uh, takes over, uh, and he rules a huge uh, kingdom. He rules a huge, huge uh, kingdom, and Xerxes is not uh, happy with the territory that he has. He wants more, like most people who don't know God, they just focus on wanting more, right? And so Xerxes, he just wants more, and so he has his eye set on taking over uh, the Greeks. And so another movie that you probably have watched, some of you, uh, remember the movie, was it 300? No? The story of the Spartans? All the guys are going, oh yeah, I watched that movie. That's yeah. The story of the Spartans? Well, that's based on Xerxes there, as he, he wants to take over uh, Greece. To get ready for the campaign, Xerxes uh, exercised just great worldly wisdom. And uh, what he did is uh, he brought together, you can see he had uh, 127 provinces, so you can see how big his his kingdom is there. Getting ready for the campaign, though, if you look at the next slide, what he did is he brought together all of the governors and all of the military leaders, and he threw a big party. And if you look down at verse 4, for 180 days he showed off his wealth and spent a lot of money to impress his guests with the greatness of his kingdom. So Xerxes brings together all of the people he's going to need to mount this campaign against the Greeks. And he throws one huge party for all these people, and not a bad length, 180 days. Long party? Yeah, not bad. He throws a long, huge party. And notice the goal of the party is to impress all of these people with how awesome, great, wealthy, and powerful Xerxes is, right? And he uses a little leverage to help impress them. If you look at the next uh, uh, verse, chapter 7, it says, The guests drank from gold cups. Impressive. Each cup have a different design. Equally impressive. The king was generous and said to them, Drink all you want. Then he told his servants, Keep the cups full. It's open bar. It's open bar at Xerxes' place. And uh, he's got all those folks. And he's impressing them with all of his wealth. And then he's also loading them up with all the alcohol he can get into them, right? And he is trying to uh, get them to that place where they just think he is the greatest thing on earth, that Xerxes is the man. And, of course, uh, he uh, uh, enjoys for himself as well. And uh, if you look at the verse 10 there, it says, By the seventh day, Xerxes, King Xerxes, was feeling happy. Because Why? So much wine, Xerxes got a little loaded, okay? He's partying along with all the friends. Uh, so he asked his seven personal servants, and I'm not even going to take a shot at those names, right? He asked his seven personal servants to bring Queen Vashti to him. Now, here's the key. He go. He asked the servants to go get the queen and bring her, but he's bringing her as his trophy wife, okay? If you look at the next line, it says, that, nope, I'm sorry, one back. It says, the king wanted her to wear her crown and let his people and officials see how beautiful she was. The inference there is, what is she going to wear? It's in there. Her crown and nothing else. Nothing else. What's he doing? He's got a little, little loaded, right? So now he wants his queen to show off how incredibly beautiful she is and walk naked with only her crown on in front of all these drunks to impress them how incredibly powerful and wonderful he is so that they will go to fight for him against the Greeks. Queen Vashti is summoned. She hears the task that she's about to do, and Queen Vashti refuses. She refuses to meet the request of uh, of King Xerxes. This doesn't go over so well. If you're trying to impress everybody and make them uh, convinced how incredible, powerful you are and that they should go to battle for you, how, how does it help the cause when your queen refuses you? Not so good, right? Later's going, yeah, right? i do that too, yeah. Right. So he has a problem now because the queen has said, no, I'm not going to do that. So he gets his counselors together and decides, what what should we do now? And they come up with a great plan. And the great plan is that he should make a law that Queen Vashti now is banished, no longer queen. Uh, And also there should be a law, so all the men are covered, so none of you women revolt. They make a law that says all women have to just obey their husbands no matter what. Husbands, this doesn't mean you can go home today and talk about walking around wearing a crown, okay? But that's what what he was about, okay? These are ungodly people we're talking about here, okay? So Vashti is banished. Xerxes goes on his military campaign. As we know from that movie, The 300, he is not successful. So he returns to his empire, and the Greek historian uh, Herodotus records that he returned to his empire, and he found consolation in his harem. Here's where Esther gets involved. King Xerxes returns after his failed campaign, and he is now uh, absent a queen, right? He's banished Vashti, so now he is without his queen. So he calls his counselors together again and says, I need a queen, how do we find one? And they come up with a plan. The plan is quite a simple one. They are to go to every province that he owned. Remember back to the first slides? A lot of provinces, right? A hundred and whatever it was, 60-some provinces, right? So they're to go to every province and find the most beautiful girl in every province, bring her to Susa, the capital, and then every girl is uh, supposed to be appropriately prepared and then spend one night with the king. And after he goes through all of the girls, then he will decide which one will be queen. And so we get now to uh, Esther. And there's a first principle we'll pull out of this verse. Verse 7 starts out saying, Mordecai had a very beautiful cousin named Esther, whose Hebrew name was Hadash. And he raised her as his, his own daughter after her father and mother died. When the king ordered the search for beautiful women, many were taken to the king's palace in Susa, and Esther was one of them. Did you notice Esther's life has not been extraordinary so far? It's been, in fact, very ordinary. Esther has experienced some difficulty in her life, has she not? What you learn from the text? When she was a young girl, she lost mom and dad. Thankfully, a cousin came in to take care of her and raise her as, as his own. See, Esther, when she was growing up, she could have concentrated and looked at her life and said, Man, God must be absent from my life. God, why did you do this to me? I lost my mom and dad. She could have looked and said, "God, boy, why in the world have you abandoned me to make me a woman in a in a culture run by man?" She could have looked at her situation and dwelt over and over again on all of her losses and all of the things that she didn't have in life. She was certainly not extraordinary. She was ordinary. And she could have spent her time concentrating on how horrible her life was, capped off by the reality that here she is living this life with her cousin. And what happens to her? She gets dragged out of her home, taken from her home, and thrown into the king's harem. Do you know a lot of people who concentrate on what their life isn't? This is what Esther could have done. She could have looked at all the losses in her life and concentrated on what her life isn't. But extraordinary people, people who are extraordinary, don't spend their time looking at what their life isn't. Instead, they look at what their life can become. Esther is taken. She is taken to Susa. She's put into the king's harem, and she becomes one of those girls that has that one-night opportunity to become queen. Now notice as Esther goes into the harem, notice how God is working and and God is working through this ordinary young girl, Esther, in just the way she is as a young woman. If you look at the next one, it says, uh, Haggai, no I'm sorry, back one, thanks, Haggai was put in charge of uh, all the women and from the first day, Esther was what? Isn't that awesome? Here's this girl who could have been so down with life and saw life as so nothing, and yet what happens? From day one, from her first impression with this guy who's in charge of all the women, of all the girls now are brought in, from the day one, what happens? Esther influences him in a positive way. I asked you before, have you been around those people who are just always concentrating on what they don't have and how bad life is? Are they fun to be around? course not but esther was great to be around esther was an influencer from the moment that she went into this experience that's what extraordinary people do extraordinary people have such a confidence in god that they don't look backwards they look forward and as they look forward they look for every opportunity to influence people this is what she's doing From day one, she goes into this experience and the person who's the most powerful in her life at that particular moment is influenced and from the first time he's with her, he understands, wow, she is an extraordinary young woman. Now notice also in the next slide that Esther remains faithful but she also doesn't wear her religion on her sleeve. It says, Mordecai had warned Esther not to tell anyone that she was a Jew and she obeyed him. He was anxious to see how Esther was getting along and to learn what had happened to her. So each day he would walk back and forth in front of the court where the women lived. So Mordecai is really invested in her. He's concerned about her. But what is Esther doing? Esther is listening to the advice of Mordecai. And when she goes in, is she going in as a fundamental super Christian follower of God? No, she's going in and she's living her faith, but she's not wearing her faith on her sleeve. Have you ever been put off by those Christians who are fundamental and they wear their faith on their sleeve? And when you walk away, what do you feel? Judged? Esther's not doing that. Esther's going in and being Esther, and she's being faithful to who she is, but she's going in and she's influencing these people. She's listening to the advice of Mordecai, uh, and look what the outcome is for Esther not only then does the head honcho love her, but who else likes her? Everyone likes Esther. The king's personal servant, uh, Haggai, was in charge of the women, and Esther trusted Haggai and asked him what she ought to take with her. It's when she's going in for her one night with the king. So look what happens. Everybody, he likes her from day one. By the time we get to her night with the king, everybody likes Esther to the point that Esther now has gained their trust and she now trusts them to the point that she says to the head honcho look what should i do now it's my night with the king what's the best thing i can do to make an impression on the king isn't that fascinating this is an extraordinary young woman she's using every opportunity that god puts in front of her even those that are with ungodly people this guy hey guy he's not a jew he's not a follower of god But she's using every opportunity, even the opportunity with ungodly people, to do what she needs to do to accomplish whatever it is God is gonna put in front of her. So what happens? Xerxes liked Esther more than he did any of the other young women. None of them pleased him as much as she did. And right away he fell in love with her and crowned her queen in place of Vashti. She goes from becoming the girl who has nothing and has had everything in her life taken away to now becoming the queen of the most powerful nation. Isn't that awesome? And we kind of end the story there. We could kind of stop the story right there and say, hey, that is just a great story of an extraordinary young woman who uses every opportunity to, uh, to move her life forward, couldn't we? But, of course, the story doesn't stop there. The story keeps going, and it shows us some more realities of uh, how Esther deals with life, because the next thing that happens is really hard for Esther and that's what extraordinary people do. Extraordinary people are ready to face even the most difficult hard realities. What happens is there's a plot to get rid of Xerxes. In the plot to get rid of Xerxes, Mordecai discovers the plot. Remember the good guy Mordecai? He discovers the plot, he reports it, the, the, the plot people are killed and then there's a big shakeup in the government. So they shake up, Xerxes shakes up the government and he appoints this guy named Haman as number two in the whole kingdom. Haman likes being number two. He'd rather be number one, but he likes being number two, and he likes all of the trappings that go with being number two. And when you're number two in Xerxes' kingdom, whenever you walk in a room or whenever you walk by a gate, everybody's supposed to bow before you. That's a problem. It's a problem when he walks through one gate because Mordecai is the gatekeeper of that gate. And when Haman walks through that gate, Mordecai refuses to bow. Why do you suppose he refuses to bow? He says in the text, because I am a Jew. And he will bow and worship no one but the Lord God. Haman determines he must get rid of Mordecai. And not only that, he must get rid of all the Jews. There's a big thinker. He must get rid of all the Jews because none of them, of course would bow to him how stuck on himself is he so he goes to Xerxes and he plots a little bit and he gets Xerxes to write a law that on a particular day all of the people throughout the entire kingdom are given the freedom to attack and kill every Jew in the kingdom and so they would be eradicated in one day he publishes the edict of course all the Jews read it Mordecai is included Mordecai reads it, and then here's where the plot thickens. Mordecai then gets that edict, gets that message to Esther, who is now queen of the entire empire, and he says, "Look, you've got to go in and appeal to the king for the sake of your people." And if you follow the text along, Mordecai gave that to Hathach uh, a copy of the orders and uh, asked her to go into the king and beg and have pity and the people, uh, the Jews. Esther gets that word. Esther understands the risk involved. This is really important. Extraordinary people don't ignore the risk that's involved. If you notice, when the message comes to Esther, Esther gets the message and says, wow, what you're asking me to do is really risky. Because nobody can just walk in and talk to the king, not even the queen. Anybody that goes sees the king goes to see the king only at the invitation of the king. And if you walk in to see Xerxes and you're not invited, you are put to death immediately unless the king accepts your visit by pointing his gold scepter toward you. If you get the gold scepter nod, then you're spared. Esther looks at the situation and she sizes up the risk and says, you realize you're asking me to take the risk of committing my life to this cause, that I could die as a result of trying to see Xerxes. Then Mordecai sends an extraordinary uh, message back to her, and it tells us about extraordinary people looking for the opportunity for God. And here's really the key to the whole day for us. When Mordecai was told what Esther had said, he sent back this reply. Don't think that you will escape being killed with the rest of the Jews just because you live in the king's palace. If you don't speak up now, we will somehow get help. But you and your family will be killed. It could be that you were made queen for a time like this. Isn't that extraordinary wisdom? What's Mordecai telling her? Look, you're a Jew. Don't think that just because you're queen, you're going to escape the outcome of this edict. If you just think somehow you can just avoid the place that God has put you in, that somehow you can avoid the responsibility that God has placed in your life right now, you know, you're misunderstanding. You will suffer the consequences for your failure to be faithful to what God wants you to do. Notice Mordecai is absolutely confident God is going to rescue them. Do you see that in the text? If you don't speak up now, we will somehow get help. What does he understand? God is not going to abandon his people. Somehow God's going to give us help. If it's not you, Esther, it's going to be somebody. But Somehow God's going to give us help. But if you think you're going to avoid the task that God has put to you, you are misunderstood. You will suffer the consequences of not being obedient to the place God has put you in in this moment. And you have to consider, is this your extraordinary moment? Is this the place where God wants you to serve? The reality is, Esther receives that word, and she becomes committed to the cause, and then she asks Mordecai and all of them to pray for her. That's what extraordinary people do. Extraordinary people always look for the opportunity that God is creating in their life. If we take a survey and say, look, do you believe, Christian, that Jesus Christ and God, that God is working and the Holy Spirit's working in your life every day, we would all raise our hand, wouldn't we? Well, if you believe it, it means He's going to work to put you in a place that He wants you to be at to do exactly what He wants you to do. And you can't avoid the place. If you avoid the place, how can you experience the blessing God wants to bring you in your life? Extraordinary people are always looking for the opportunity and saying, This could be the moment that God has prepared for me. And there's lots of moments in our life. This could be the moment that God has prepared for me. And then they ask for guidance and discernment, and they get other people involved. What Esther does here is extraordinary. She says, Mordecai, you're right. This could be the time. This could be the moment that God put me, that I went through all of this stuff in my life and has brought me to this place now of being queen. This could be absolutely the moment. Would you get yourself and all the people to pray for me because I'm going to act trusting this is the moment? That's what extraordinary people do. And, of course, we know the outcome of the experience. Esther does go in and see the king, and i got a whole bunch more there in your message notes, but not enough time to unfold it. But she goes in to see the king, and she not only saves her people... But by the time the story is done, she gets rid of Haman. She gets rid of Haman, the guy who was out to destroy the Jewish people. And uh, guess who becomes the most powerful next to Xerxes in the kingdom? Mordecai. Isn't that awesome how God works? All because of an extraordinary girl who was willing to not look at what she didn't have, but look at the possibility and the opportunity of what God could still do in her life. And when the moment came, she asked for blessing, discernment, and she acted on that moment. How many moments? How many moments do you have? How many places has God put you in where He's saying, this is your moment, this is what I've prepared you for, this is our time to act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all the moments that you bring us to. We pray this morning that you would just give us a discernment, that we would always understand that this is the moment, this is the time that you've brought us to, and that we would not shirk our responsibility, we wouldn't avoid it, even though there's risk in it, but we would just move forward and we would do what you want us to do, knowing somehow you're going to work, somehow you're going to bring it to completion. We pray this morning you would give us such trust that we could look forward in our lives to accomplish whatever it is you desire.